Welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Talks podcast, everybody. This is your host, Joe Ogden. This morning, we're joined with our manager here in Fox Point, Scott Coonan. Scott, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Joseph. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Good. It's a good start to your day. You came in early yeah. for this podcast for us. It's going to be a great day for the race. What race? The human race. Well done. For everybody that doesn't know, that is one of Scott's favorite jokes, and he uses a lot of them. I remember the first time, eh, actually, I probably messed this up a few times when I first started here. I had no idea what to respond to Scotty with, and I think he was more disappointed in that than anything else. Nope, now you got it. It's just a learning experience. <laughs> Scotty, tell us a little bit about kind of where you're from, where you grew up, your college experience, and sure. basically how you got started being a physical therapist. Well, uh... I'm from Seymour, Wisconsin. Uh, that's where the hamburger was invented in 1885 by Hamburger Charlie Negreen, of course, uh, in the Guinness Book of World Record for uh, the world's largest hamburger. Um, so anyone who's interested, just let me know. I can give you more details. Um, but no, I'm, the, I'm from a little town up north, just west of Green Bay, um, the youngest of six kids. Uh, I got injured my junior year in track. Uh, I was a sprinter and I pulled my hamstring. Uh, and then I tried to rehab it on my own in another cold, rainy day, I, uh, I re-injured it. And so my uh, football coach, who was also one of the track coaches, suggested that I go see someone. I uh, went to see a physical therapist, uh, Rick Peterson, and um, I thought, well, this would be a cool job. So um, I think that's a fairly common story amongst our peers. Um, so then uh, I went to St. Norbert's my freshman year in college up in De Pere, just um, all my family went there and I wanted to keep playing football and so somebody my size could still play there and then uh, I knew I wanted to be a PT and so I transferred to Madison and I graduated um, from Madison in 1995 with a Bachelor of Science in Physical Therapy. That's something I wanted to ask you about and it, after interviewing Heather last week, now that PT is a DPT and you need to have your doctorate so you have to go to graduate school, undergrad is everyone has... I think they're closing the range on what you can have undergraduate-wise. They used to be pretty big. Now it's smaller for... I mean, you used to be able to have Spanish. Oh, sure. It's a bunch of different undergraduate options. How did it used to work? Because it, like PT yeah. school now, you do four years of undergrad, right, yeah. unless you're a direct admit program, right. which is three years. Right. And then you start your classes. Like, how does it work as an undergrad? So um, so I, I can only speak for Madison. So um, you, you had certain classes, I mean, somewhat probably similar to like you probably have certain classes that you have to take to get into a doctoral program. We had the same, uh, you had, and then at Madison anyways, they just went straight science GPA. So um, there were 60 kids in my class, and so there was just, here's the top 60 science GPAs you're in, and the rest of you are you are out. So, um, so that's how it worked. And then um, like I had some classmates that did it, and they got their bachelor's in four years. Uh, and then I took, with going to St. Norbert's, I, I did my, the prereqs um, in another two years at Madison. So I, I went to school for five years. So your last two years of- Was PT school. Was just so, straight yep. PT yep. type yep. classes. Yeah, almost. So as I was leaving, I think the first master's class was coming into Madison. And, you know, they were basically going through the same curriculum I did. Um, the only difference was they had anatomy in the summer, which was a six credit class. They took that in the summer. I still think they're kind of doing that even with the DPT program. 
And so, uh, but basically, and then those six credits they wrote into, I think, kind of doing their thesis as part of their master's yeah. program. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know, difference, you know, you, you asked about, uh, I think you guys are much, much better prepared coming out than what I was, just based on your skill level. Um but I think the reason for that is you, you, your clinicals and your internships are so much longer. Did you guys uh, have the same? No, we just did. Uh, so we did a, there was, after our first year, there was a two week one. Then in between our second year, like the winter, so basically January. Like um, four week basically. Four week one. And then after we were done with classes, there were three, you could either do two nine weeks or uh, three six weeks. So 18 weeks. Okay. That, and then, that was it. And I think you guys spend a ton more time in the clinic than what we did. Yeah. I don't know like the guidelines by, um, FSBT on how long you should be, but I think at Carroll, my first one was a four week and then COVID hit. So that changed things a little bit because I was supposed to be with Mike Cook up in Wapak in the summer for 12 weeks with Mike Cook. That was my four week one. And then two, eight weeks. Yeah. Is that where you touched the blue? It was, yep, on a surgery, yep. Scott, tell everybody the touch the blue story, even though it's going to be much funnier to you and I. Yeah, so I, the nice thing when you're a student is a lot of times uh, you can go observe surgeries, which is, I, I think, very cool, but that's, of course, in my wheelhouse. So uh, Mike Cook uh, set up a, for me to see a rotator cuff repair with Dr. Shapiro. Um and Appleton, I think it was. And so he had, I didn't scrub in, so I wasn't, I was just standing there observing. And um, he wanted me to get in closer so I could see the tear. And uh, I, I, when I leaned in to get over the surgical field a little bit, I rubbed up against his back. And uh, he's like, oh, you touched me. And so he had to regown and he had a reputation for you know, not being overly patient. He didn't yell at me. He didn't get mad. His nurse just kind of looked at me and said it was okay. And then when I got back to the clinic, it was in the morning that surgery was, I told uh, Cookie that uh, what happened and uh, he's uh, continued 20, almost 30 years later to give me a hard time about it. What year was that in? Ballpark. It would have been um, January of 94. So I was with Mike and I've known Mike forever too. I think I was in a clinical That's 20. That's why we're both working here. That is true. And we'll get to that story a little later. Um, I think I was with him in 2020 on the clinical. And he probably reminded me of oh, that story. Yeah. He tells everybody. A hundred times. Everybody. Now working with Scotty, that story gets <laughs> my, so much funnier. My buddy, my friend, uh, one of my best friends is seeing him right now. Um, and uh, he knows about it. So <laughs> Cook loves to tell that story to, to everybody. Scotty, what made you ultimately decide on physical therapy? Was it that one sports injury that you're like, oh, I know this is what I want to do? Yeah, I just thought it would be fun. Um, yeah, I knew I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go to school long to become a doctor. And again, this was just a four-year, five-year degree to become a physical therapist. It's funny. I thought, you know, I want to do sports medicine, work with the athletes. And uh, I certainly, at the beginning of my career, I was more into that. And uh, I always tell people, like, you kind of age with your patients uh, if they stay with you. And so, as you get older, they get older. And so, I see less and less of the sports medicine kind of stuff now, which I'm fine with. I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys um so yeah so that's I, I thought this would be a cool career um 
I love I love uh, science, anatomy, especially, and the whole sports medicine thing. So it kind of made sense. Was PT school at the time as competitive as it is now? Yeah, it was. Yes, yeah. Or so, as popular of a profession, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, not to, like, when I was going to Madison, it was more competitive to get into PT school than it was to medical school. From what I've heard, that's still the case. At, yeah. I so, think at a national level, actually. Yeah. I think Mike told me that, Karajinas. Yeah. Um, which is good and bad. Obviously good with hopefully good therapists coming yeah. out, but bad that it, I mean, I've seen people also wait to get into PT school for two years yeah three um, years and try and yeah, go back i mean go i mean kind of touching back on like the whole dpt thing again i think you guys are much much i think you're better coming out as as new grads than what certainly i was but um you know the amount of debt that you're having to incur um you know um i feel bad about it's a lot i was actually just looking at my stuff yesterday um because now the official loans are kicking back in and that the um deferment period is over even though i've been paying it interest free Mm -hmm. it's something that i think is just the problem with the education system it could be a whole different conversation but right next podcast you don't see all that money until you're done and then it's just this lump sum and you're like oh now yes unless you're fortunate enough to have it paid for which is a whole different yeah story yeah just yeah that's a bigger conversation but yeah education just the cost of it so the amount of debt that that you all are incurring i mean i always tease you guys when they give me a hard time about not having my dpt um and i just my last semester of pt school was one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars i think that's what i paid per credit (laughs) so so i was able to get out of school somewhat Scott free. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. Scotty, you've obviously been practicing much longer than I have. Um, and from what I've talked to you about so far, it sounds like you have a very vast work experience prior to working here. Tell us a little bit about your past work experiences. Have you always been an outpatient? Uh, yeah, for yeah, 99%. Yeah. So I was, uh, I worked at St. Elizabeth's in Appleton out of college in their outpatient orthopedics. Um, and then, um, I wanted to travel. So I was a traveling therapist for just about two years or so, uh, lived out in Maine, had a little two bedroom cottage on the ocean. That was cool. But those, uh, and then I was in Idaho, uh, and then came back to Wisconsin for a little bit. So uh, a lot of the traveling stuff was at, you know, a skilled nursing facility. Those were just the jobs that were in demand. So, uh, Maine and Idaho, I was at a nursing home. It still is the same way with travel, but yeah. So, but otherwise, other than that, I've been an outpatient ortho. So I went from, worked in Wausau a little bit for Marshfield clinic. Um, and then from there, went and started working in New London with uh, with Mike Cook for about five years at Orthopedic and Spine Therapy, um, and then um, came down to Milwaukee, um, and that's where my, Mike Cook knows Mike Caraginus. They worked together at St. Mike's. That's a lot of Mike's. Um, so that's how I ended up here at Freedom. Yeah, how did all that work out? Yeah, Cook just made a phone call and said, you know, told Mike Caraginus that, um, I was moving down to Milwaukee and we should talk. So and the twin the Mike just had the twins babies, yeah, they right? Just graduated. That's how I always judge how long I've been here is that uh when uh we interviewed, which it's a, I think a great thing about freedom is just kind of the family aspect of it, is um 
the twins uh, were, he brought them in to the interview and they were in their car seats. He just popped them up on one of the tables. So now the fact that they're graduating and moving on to college is. I think uh, that Mike's moving them in. Yeah, I think this pretty much yeah, yeah, any yeah. day yeah, now. So that's always when I see how old they've gotten. Uh, it just reminds me of how long I've been here. I had a patient too where I saw the older sister and uh, several years ago, probably a decade ago, she was. Um, and um, the youngest sister was just a, a baby when she came to, to when she came when the older sister came for her therapy and the mom brought her. And now um, I recently saw the youngest sister and I said, don't you have a sister who's where don't you have a sister younger than you? And then I realized that that was the that was the, the baby. One. That was the she was a baby. So now she's like a freshman or sophomore in high school. So because you've been here. What is this year? 18, 18 years. Yeah. And how long, and I think I said this at the beginning, but I'll say it again, Scott's our manager here in Fox Point. How long have you been the manager? Um, man, I don't know, six or seven years maybe. Okay. Maybe. And McGuanago the same amount of time too? Mm, I was first here uh, and then McGuanago after that. Um, and Wes has kind of taken that role over uh, and doing a wonderful job with it. So I think that's the plan is to slowly transition out of that where Wes, Wes will just run McGuanago. Um, but I don't know exactly. I mean, yeah, maybe six, seven years. Okay. I'm not sure how long I've been manager. What are... Obviously, I know as a physical therapist, and lately because we've been so busy, sometimes we're up to our throats treating people. What, on top of being a therapist, are you doing with your manager roles? Uh, approving vacation requests. <laughs> uh, I don't. Just trying to make sure the clinic runs properly. Uh, taking concerns from patients. Um, yeah. I, you know, just trying to just make sure that things move smoothly. For the most part, I I mean, I I think this you know Fox Point in particular, where I'm here, you know, 99% of my time, I think just kind of operates, uh, you know, and I just try to stay out of the way. Scott's pretty accurate on that. Scott, as a manager, and I've never told him this because him and I, Scott always tells me that I'm the little brother that he never had. So sometimes I get to pick on him. I get picked on a lot as a manager. I think Scott sets the standard for how ideally you should be is if you need something, let me know. I'm going to tell you how we operate at a business in this example, freedom. This is how we want to operate. This is our standard. If you have questions, let me know. Otherwise do your job. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I thank you. I appreciate that. That's what I try. I try to do it. Not um, I, no, no one wants to be micromanaged. Right. So I certainly wouldn't. And just I mean, ultimately, just goes treat people the way you want to be treated. If you're having issues, please let me know so we can try to solve it. If we don't know about it, we can't, you know, solve it. So there's nothing. If you do have somebody that uh, ultimately leaves and then they tell you, well, this, this, and this, and you're like, well, uh, I didn't know that. I mean, I can't fix it if I don't know about it. So not, not necessarily that you're always going to be able to solve what they want, but, uh, so I just try to have open lines of communication, I guess is important. And, uh, hopefully I'm approachable. Uh, it's funny whenever I need to like talk to somebody privately, I always like about whatever. And I always say, do you, do you got a second? And everybody thinks it's, it's always going to be bad, bad. Uh, whenever I say that to them and you know, again, 99% of the time it's not cause everybody here does a great job. And so, um, but it's, it's funny when you do take on that role, just, uh, how maybe some people perceive you or whatever. So 
I think that comes with the territory yeah, yeah, being right. a manager. Yeah, totally. The only thing that Scott really dislikes as the manager is when you have conversations with them, you have to have an opinion. You can't just say whatever <laughs> is needed. Scott does not like that. The other big thing that Scott really does not like as a manager. Country music. Well, country music too in the <laughs> clinic is in this this could be a different conversation too. So if anybody has an opinion, you can please leave a comment or ask another therapist is on your birthday. Oh yeah, of course. Do you bring a treat for yourself to share with your coworkers at work? That should be Abby's next poll of the day. That should be. We have a poll going on in the clinic about every day, different, poll. just random questions and polls. I've now been here for two of my birthdays and I have not brought anything. Technically, the first one shouldn't count because Scott never told me during my initiation. That's my fault. That's bad. Second one, we're having a couple different conversations. I think I've been here for 17 of my birthdays and brought treats for all of them. Didn't you bring treat when you were a kid in school, right? For your birthday, you'd bring in a treat? I think so. All right. So just same thing. And now Scott's got a little smirk on his face. (laughs) We've hired one, two, three... Four new people at Fox Point, three therapists, one front desk. I think three out of the four have had birthdays in the past month. Yeah. So Scott's Scott's riding high because all three of them have brought in some nice, nice treats for their birthday. They did. Yeah, totally. I agree. Scott even went so far to text a past therapist to bully her (laughs) that she didn't bring anything in either because her and I are the both the ones that don't do it so far. Again, did you bring treats in when you were in, (laughs) in school for your birthday? Hopefully I have another chance to make it up well, for my hopefully. next birthday. Yeah, we'll see. You're in double secret probation. Yeah, we'll see what Scott can bring um, for his birthday in November. I always bring in the same thing. What does it need to make? Pumpkin torts, yeah. Need to make some totally. They're wonderful, though. 50, 52 this year? Oh, he's yes, 52. Big ones, Joe, Joe likes to remind me how old I am for some reason. It's fun for me and Scott. Scott has been practicing... Longer than I've been alive. Yeah. So it's easy to remember how old Scotty is, which for me is awesome because A, Scott and I are from the same general location up, up in north. central Wisconsin, up north small here. town, now in the Milwaukee area. Um, and obviously Scott has a vast amount of experience compared to me. So it's to me, it's kind of fun working with someone um, who's easy to relate to. And I obviously can learn a ton from him, both by talking with him and just seeing how he treats too. Um, Scotty, since I talked about before how we've hired a large amount of people yeah. in the past, right? I could even say this summer, what are some of the things that you as a manager look for when you're hiring? Um, just, uh, I was at a conference last um, May, May of 2022. And uh, so just in this you know, this presentation and they were talking about, you know, hiring everything. And I just thought it was a great, they're, um, you know, um, hire for traits and train for skill. Right. So, um, so, so in a private practice, right. I think the lifeblood of a private practice is, uh, building relationships with our patients because we're not a big system. Um, physicians aren't directing their patients necessarily here. They're directing them to try to stay in house, right? Which, which I get. So our level of care, I think, needs to be such that people want to say to their doctor, 
no, I want to go to freedom or no, I've already got a physical therapist. And so, um, so that, so that, so that we need people or we want people that, that get that and provide that next level of care, if you will, so that a patient is willing to say that like, no, I'm going to freedom. Uh, one of my favorite stories about that is Aaron, uh, my coworker, uh, wonderfully talented therapist. Uh, she saw a patient that she had seen for a while and this gentleman was having his knee replaced. And so he was at joint camp at a place, uh, I won't say where, um, and they went around a circle and said where they were having therapy and he said he was going to freedom and he had three people over the course of the rest of that day or however long they're at joint camp come up to him and try to convince him to go to to, to stay in house and he said no and he was he was an attorney and and i and and so he said no i'm going to freedom and so that's where he came and that's just the level of loyalty if you will that he had because he knew what great care he was going to get from Aaron so so to answer your question that was a long answer but um just that that ability to just again provide that next level of care that um that this is where they want to come or they want to send their family or they want to send their friends so I think that's also um something I appreciate working here too is I do look at that as a burden as well in a positive way that you have to make sure that you hold a standard here. Yeah, I think that comes from the top. I think that comes from Mike. Um, and to his credit, you know, he doesn't let the, the tail wag the dog. He, you know, he um, he could do better if we had shorter appointment times or if we were double booked or, you know, if we were, he, he would potentially do better. But that's not the kind of care that he wants to put his name on and so that's not what we do here so um so that again i just think that comes from the top and so that's what we try to look for somebody that gets that 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 gets that that's the the i always and this is very humbly this is not uh i always think of like the way that we're allowed to treat here is i think what people when they envision themselves being an outpatient orthopedic therapist this is what they envision doing one-on-one patient care 45 minutes get to put your hands on the people um so that that's what we do and do what you need to do to improve the patient right yeah put the yeah so that's the other thing perhaps too that's a good point is just um like what's best for the patient and and we mike always says this you know he's like we dictate their care we don't let we try not to let the insurance company as dictate their care and what's best for them and so that that again that i just think comes from the top that's where outpatient, I think. I would love to do a, like a, a poll. At, I think it's very rare to have 45-minute time slots now yeah. one-on-one. Right. Unfortunately, because of the right. reimbursement that keeps right. going down and down and down. Right. Financially, it's becoming very it's, tough. It's crazy. It's it's the only, it's I don't know, and I'm super biased, right, because this is what I do, but it's the only profession that I know, so I've been doing this for a bit, that usually in most careers i would suggest that as you are in your career longer and longer you provide you're better at it potentially right you would think this is the only one where you get less and less like you get reimbursed less over time because insurance companies are saying we're just going to pay you less take it or leave it so i don't know of any other i mean you know anything else besides medicine it's not just physical therapy but medicine like the longer you've been doing it and the better you're at, you can usually command a higher 
written rightly so right it's like uh, anything right? right rightly so except for the medical world for some reason so well like you as a manager you probably see more of the um not financial statements yeah. but the, the how we're doing yeah billing records i could be wrong at this so correct me if i'm wrong but it as a provider it doesn't matter who you are you're still getting the same reimbursement yeah, yeah rate, well right? certain uh i know depending on the code no well certain um Entities like some of your bigger institutions may get reimbursed more than what, what that. we do, you know. So, um, like a therapist but, but working like, for thirty years versus me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the it's codes the are just the reimbursement doesn't matter, right? So, or credentialing yeah. doesn't matter. No, which is always so interesting to me. I think, and I think something you should strive for is continuing education. Yep. But sometimes, financially, I think it's also hard to justify, like okay, we're going to spend X yeah. the opportunity cost I to do yeah. what more, right? You're not going to, you don't make any, you don't, you get reimbursed the same, you get reimbursed the same regardless of your credentialing or your expertise. Or, and I'm not sure how that works in other fields. Um, yeah, me, I mean, in so the medicine medical, field. Yeah. Medical, I think for the most part, it's all, they're just fee schedules worked out with it's just contracts. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, anything else to me, like an attorney who's really, really good, they're going to command a higher dollar. Yeah. Uh, you know, a computer consultant, if he's really good or she, um, they're going to command a higher, a higher. Do you dollar. see that chain? Like, do you see? No. <laughs> I mean, people have talked as we're recording this in the summer of 2023, everyone's kind of talking about and this has been going on for a couple of years, like the housing market bubble is going to burst. Do you think this reimbursement medicine bubble eventually will change or do you think it's just going to keep slowly so, kind of progressing? So, uh, I don't think in my, however long I've been a physical therapist, I don't think reimbursement has ever gone up. Right. You, we keep getting less and less. Like they, they keep. And so I, I've been fortunate enough to go to this at Concordia. They have um, like the economics of healthcare. It's and they um, it's really a great they, they bring in really smart, smart people. I always feel I'm the dumbest person in the room when I go to it. Uh, just the, the people they bring in. They brought in like the head of the IT for Walgreens one year. They brought in the incoming president of the American Medical Association. And so it's all on the economics of healthcare. And every single year they, they say, uh, the guy that leads it, Dan, I forget his last name, super guy. Um, but, um, this is unsustainable, just not, not physical therapy, but just the current healthcare in the United States with what we're doing is unsustainable. The cost of it, we can't keep doing it. So I don't know what that means. Um, well, there's people who are a lot smarter trying to solve it. Um, that's why I enjoy going to that conference is just listening to these people um, and their ideas and what we can do. But um, yeah, I don't, again, I've never seen reimbursement go up. I don't think it's ever going to in my career. They just, I don't, just the, the cost of medicine just, it just keeps skyrocketing. And, and like they said, it's unsustainable. I think everything keeps changing too. I mean, everything's expensive. I actually just read something this morning, five minutes before we started this. Did you know that 1% of people who have a musculoskeletal um, condition actually come and seek medical attention because of the cost? 
No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Now I didn't double check where that number is coming from. I'll have to show it to you, but yeah. 1% of people with a musculoskeletal condition are seeking medical treatment yeah. because of the high cost yeah. or the worry that in you the, have to take unpaid time. In all the United this. States, United States, you know, they've uh, at this conference, I, I don't have the stats or anything, but like one of the real drivers is the cost of medicine. And I remember we had our insurance guys come here one time to just talk to us. And like, you know, 15 years ago, you might get a cancer drug that costs $25,000 and gave you a two year life expectancy. Now there's a cancer drug that costs, you know, $250,000 and lets you live, you know, five years longer. So uh, that, that, that may be driving something. So you can't really put a price tag on someone's life, but, um, yeah, I don't, again, I don't, I don't know what the solution is. Um, but it's just, um, I, like they say at this conference, like it's unsustainable. I I agree. I mean, the prices are, everything's crazy. Like in, in the United States, we pay for, they, they just said this again, is that like basically all the R&D, the research and development of these, of drugs, a lot of that, the consumers in the United States of America pay for. And then these dr drugs will go elsewhere worldwide. Um, so do I want them to keep improving drugs so that, you know, if I get something one day that it's, you know, uh, I can use it? Absolutely. Um, but is it necessarily fair that the U.S. Uh, pays for all the R&D? I, I don't know. It, I mean, it's an interesting um, conversation. Like, yeah. for example, my um, I think you know this. I think I've talked to you about it. Um, in February, my dad uh, was diagnosed yeah. with brain cancer. Um, and he had a stem cell transplant in May. That was a six-week process after chemo. Probably super expensive. I don't even know yeah. what the cost was. This little bag of four million stem cells. He just had his MRI last week, and he's um, um, free of disease. Awesome. Yeah. So right. So, so I mean, what's the cost of that? Right. You said it's probably it outrageous. Half a million dollars. Who knows? But right, your dad's life is certainly worth yeah. that half a million dollars. So I mean, that's so, I mean that the interesting that's the conversation. Yeah, that's the balance. But I just think there's so much, and this is a uh, you know, getting back to like just some of there's so much uh, people that are not involved in the delivery of the healthcare, the bureaucracy behind some of the. Again, I'm just going to pick on insurance companies and how many people that are there to make sure that the box gets checked. I mean, I think if somehow you could get that out of the system, you would bring healthcare down a little bit. And then just, you know, as a society, if we ate better, exercise, didn't smoke, didn't drink quite as much, uh, healthcare would become much more affordable. Yeah. With the current disease state. So we're, yeah, those are all, this <laughs> is another podcast, but yeah. Well, I, I just had the conversation with someone this week too. I think it'd be interesting. And I don't think the insurance companies would ever do this because to their defense, I think their algorithm and their data is pretty solid on what they should and shouldn't pay for with their policies yeah. is to just say, okay, you're going to pay for this policy, whatever care you need, we're going to pay for it upfront because it's probably going to save us in the long run of, Oh, the bureaucracy of the, the denials and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Again, different podcast, but to me, it'd be interesting if whatever care you need, just take care of your whatever's going on right away so that, I mean, how many people do we see? They're like, oh, I've been dealing with this for years. I just oh, haven't yeah. dealt with it. Now it's a bigger issue that's going to cost more. Right. Yeah, no. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I'm reading a book right now by Peter Atea. Atea oh, Olive, yeah. And he just talks about medicine and like the the current he calls it medicine 2.0 where we are now and un unfortunately a lot of our medicine is as long as it's within normal limits 
we don't worry about it. And then his point is that once it's out of within normal limits, then you know the horse is out of the barn, if you will. So, and then we're just trying to practice this to just uh, catch up with it or just keep it as well as we can in check instead of, okay, what can we do down like previously upstream to keep them within normal limits so that's again that's about just eating right exercising um that's the biggest those are the biggest factors for probably like in this book uh not that we're doing a book review but you know he talks about the four horsemen diabetes cancer uh, basically dementia and heart disease and all of those if we if we exercise is probably the biggest thing um your risk in the future as we get older the risk of developing those four diseases is less so it's pretty basic that's right it's then that's just there, there needs to be some personal responsibility uh as well on top of being a physical therapist do you have any other certifications uh just dry needling dry needling uh i'm what i uh, through my pain basically you <laughs> so essentially you can dry needle every muscle in the body yeah, yeah there's some you can if you have to go through like the neurovascular bus but yeah but there's there's this handful you can if somebody's on a blood thinner there's certain muscles you got to stay out of but most any muscle potentially skeletal muscle could develop a trigger point and be a source of pain and so yes you you can dry needle that and you probably just based on what i see i don't needle yet we're working on it mm-hmm. weekends are hard with a baby at home i promise i'm going to take it soon okay um I feel like you probably needle one of probably the most out of therapists here. Yeah, I well, I lo- I mean, I I love dry needling. I mean, I, I tell that to my patients too. Like um, uh, Diane needles. Diane might needle a little bit more than I do, but uh, I, I like to needle. Um, I think well, one it works um, and it makes people feel better, which I like people coming back and telling me that they feel better. Um, but yeah, I do. I do needle. Uh, I do needle a lot. I always tell my my patients that I'll ask them. I always like, do you want to be needled today? And they're like, well, you're the therapist. I'm like, well, this is an invasive procedure. I'm always going to ask. But if I'm asking, that's probably me suggesting that yeah, right. I think you would benefit from dry needling. So, um, do you think it's changed your treatment approach? Oh yeah, since having all three um, classes. I I went I was four when I went oh it's four it was when I went yeah so you did now they do the pre the class like they do all the kind of the um, the theory and all that stuff I think is done online beforehand whereas when I went it was four classes and that was part of the class work was the like lectures on how this works why it works and you've seen it kind of change how you look at things, how you approach. Oh, totally. Yeah. Without a doubt that easily like the biggest game changer of any technique or anything that I do. What do you think is the muscle group or area that you needle the most? I know it depends on yeah, sir. the so, patient caseload. But. Yeah. So, um, I needle, um, like lower extremity or low back pain. Um, I needle the glute meads a lot and you usually get some pretty good twitches. Um, some QL quadratus lumborum, a little bit of paraspinals. Um, that's probably lower extremity, upper extremity stuff. Um, uh, for shoulder, like infraspinatus to me is just loaded with trigger points. Um, and I'm always, I mean, I just did it last night on my last patient. She doesn't complain of pain in her infraspinatus, which is the muscle on your shoulder blade. Um, 
it's in her deltoid or the, the, the muscle on her, on the outside of her shoulder. Um, but I'm like, that, that's right where that muscle, but once I start pressing around her inferspinatus, it's bone well, trigger pain points. In that spot. And, yeah, and when we needled it, it, it reproduced her deltoid pain. So usually that's a great sign. So, and then just, uh, upper like cervical upper trap is loaded with trigger points. Um, SCM for your headaches, uh, sternocleidomastoid, um, cervical paraspinals i need a fair amount levator i've only had the um paraspinals needle once in my neck by cookie oh and he i was kind of laying there he's like you see the stars don't you like, yep <laughs> that's the thing yeah that was the first lisa vandenblumer who used to work here is the first person to needle me and she'd need any my lumbar paraspinals and i was she was in there and you know trying to elicit these twitch responses and at first it really didn't hurt you know, it was fine. And then I literally, this is not an exaggeration. I literally said, Oh, this isn't too bad. And then she got it. She hit the, probably the neuromuscular junction. I got a big twitch in my low back and I was just like, Oh, <laughs> all right. That's what people are talking about. Now, Scotty, again, as a manager, Scott is really good. And he probably doesn't know this cause I've never told him this. Oh boy. Scott is also really good about a work life balance. Scott always asks therapists what they're doing for the weekend asking about their personal life because it's not always about work even though when we are at work everyone works hard scotty outside of work what do you like to do um well i enjoy golfing um i try to work out a few days a week to practice what i preach um in the winter i like to get out west at least once to try to go skiing with some friends or family um i certainly enjoy going to movies um and those are probably, I guess, my, my hobbies. Your hobbies are going to change shortly here. Scotty just bought a new house. Yeah, yeah. And from what I've heard, you've been looking, you and your wife have been looking for years for a house. Yeah, for, we started in February of 2019. <laughs> so we like where we live. We live in Whitefish Bay uh, for another uh, eight days. Uh, and we liked where we lived, so we were in no rush and just kind of wanted to be, we're moving to Mequon and just wanted to be in a certain part of Mequon and we're looking for a certain kind of house. So our, our realtor, you know, uh, Jason, God bless him, very patient with us as... Um, oh, same realtor from... Yeah, yep. Wow. Yep, yep, he was, yeah, so... Who's more excited, him or you guys? Yeah, you, yeah you'd have to... <laughs> You'll have to ask Jason, probably Jason. I always was, he was very good. So yeah, so we're moving to Mequon here shortly. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. A little more yard, a little more house. Scott's dog, Taz, he's going to have more room to run yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, he'll enjoy that. Scotty, last question before you and I both have to go treat, make some physical improvements for people. Oh, yeah. What motivates you to be either or both a better person or better physical therapist? Ugh. Now, before I hear Scott's answer, I've been really looking forward to actually hearing this from him because, again, I think Scott sets the standard for both manager and how a therapist should be. Joe's review isn't until April either, so <laughs> he's getting this out early. Um, I, I, again, it just, I, I, for me, this just comes from my, just kind of the, I think that it comes from the top down. And um, so I enjoy helping people. I think most physical therapists, our traits are tending to want to, we're helpers. We want to help people get to where they want to be. Um, there's nothing more satisfying for me than somebody coming in and telling me that they feel better. Um, I remember one lady in particular, and she was a physician, and I needled her glute mead. And the next time she came in, um, 
and I'd taken her over from somebody else. And so, uh, she came in and, um, she, she said, you know, this is the first time in like three years I was able to bend over and get my socks and shoes on without pain. So that, you know, most people don't think about that, but when you can't do it, it's a big deal. And so that I'm like, God, that makes my day. Like, that's what I enjoy. That gives me a lot of uh, satisfaction in my job. And I don't know, I just try to do that in life too. Just, right, just treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, you know, one of my sayings lately has been, don't sweat the small stuff, everything small, you know, and just kind of be content and happy with where you are. I've started doing yoga, so over the last couple of years, maybe that's changing my perspective and I'm, I'm chilling out a little bit as I get older because I used to be very competitive. Scott's answer epitomizes who he is. He'll <laughs> never say it, but that's exactly the answer I expected. Scotty, thanks for joining us yeah, this morning. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for doing this. Good job. And we're going to get everybody, uh, we're going to get the Brady's no longer with us. We're going to get the Packer podcast yep. going again. Talk about injuries. September 12th will be our first um, Packer All right. injury report. We'll probably have some updates on the Wisconsin Badgers, too. Scotty and I both are big Badger fans, so we'll talk about. They should have two games in by that time. Yeah, they play the second and the ninth. So we'll have some updates there. Hopefully not too many updates for injury-wise. And then yeah. we'll talk about the Packers right. opening week against the Bears. Who's, if anybody, Who's this sponsored by? Sponsored by Mike Caraginas. <laughs> Treating TM, TMD.com. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. If anybody has any questions or concerns, please reach out to one of our four locations, either here in Fox Point, McGuanago, Grafton, or Brookfield. We'll see everybody on the next episode. Thanks, Joe.